You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good to see you all this morning. My name's Tom, and uh, we are going to be continuing our series today looking at the church. We're calling it We Are the Church. And last week we looked at how the church is the bride of Christ. Just before I, I dig into today's message, um, just to highlight a couple of things to you. Tim's mentioned we're taking a special offering at the end of this service today, as we did at the end of the nine o'clock as well. Um, if you haven't picked up one of these already, I'd really encourage you to do that. There'll be some available over at the uh, welcome area, but also on the doors. Um, grab one of these, um, take it home, read it, see the context of why we're taking up this offering. Also, you might like to download the message I shared last week, uh, which kind of unpacked it a little bit more. Um, this is not kind of just, we just fancy raising £100,000. There's actually some, there's a lot of context to it, and it'd be worthwhile you getting a hold of that. So get hold of one of these. And at the end of the, the service today, as we take the offering, uh, we'd really appreciate if you could um, fill in um, a gift aid envelope if you're giving today. Um, if you're a taxpayer in the UK, fill in one of these. We're able to claim an extra 25% uh, back from the taxman on top of your gift at no cost to you, which is a really good deal. So we will talk about gift aid until we're blue in the face because it's such a, such a good deal. Um, if you have forgotten to bring a gift with you this week and you'd like to, panic not. We're doing it again next week. Um, take one of these home with you so it's a reminder to you uh, on your fridge uh, that next week we're giving again into this offering. Okay, if you have a Bible with you, um, could you turn to Romans chapter 12? And uh, we're going to be reading a couple of verses from Romans chapter 12 together. Romans is a, a letter, a book of the New Testament, and... Um, We're going to be reading a couple of verses together. It was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he was hoping to visit. The church met in Rome. That's why it's called Romans. And we're going to read verses 4 and 5 together. They're going to come up on the screens around the room as well. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. It's quite significant that we're talking about this today as we've just welcomed some members into our church here. Paul is talking here about the church being a body. He's talking, at times he's talking about the universal church, um, particularly in places like Ephesians. He's talking about the church universally being a body. Jesus, the head of the church, and the the church being his body. In this context here, he's talking about the local church such as this church here. And he's talking about how different members have different parts to play. He's just unpacked uh, over the previous 12 chapters, or previous 11 chapters, um, the mercy of God. He's unpacked the gospel. He's unpacked all that God has done for us in uh, making us new creations, in rescuing us, in forgiving us, and putting us into God's family. And then he says, So then, in view of this mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is what Paul writes. And then we see just a few verses after this, these verses we've read out together, because the context of us outworking our lives as a spiritual offering, holy and pleasing to God, is in the church. It's often uh, that we miss that, actually, that it's in the church that God would have us work out uh, our uh, spiritual worship to him with the gifts that he's given us. It's not just in the church, but the context immediately here is in the church. And he uses this phrase, in Christ. Two small words, but hugely significant. Um, This phrase, in Christ, is used over a hundred times in the New Testament, and it means so much. It means that we've been joined to Christ. When we place our faith in Jesus, we've been joined to him, and... Having been joined to him, we're covered in him. And everything that Jesus can share, he has shared with us. 
That's what in Christ means. Everything he can share, he has shared with us. He can't share his deity with us. We don't become like uh, we don't become a god when we place our faith in him but everything else that he can share with us we receive when we place our faith in him we receive adoption into the family of god we are forgiven we are made righteous we are redeemed we're taken out of the slavery that we were in we've been made new creations in christ it's so so significant that we get this we're in christ and he says here that we're a body means we're united not just to christ but we're united to each other so when we place our faith in Jesus, it's like Jesus, is, he becomes our brother. But all those other people who have placed their faith in Jesus are also your brothers and sisters. So I am your brother in Christ. Okay, whether you like that or not, that's the truth. If you place your faith in Jesus and you're my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Paul is getting at here. And he's saying here we have different functions. We have different gifting. What does this look like in practice? Well, what we're going to do today is we're going to do a bit of a Bible study together. Are you up for that? Yeah, we're going to walk through some verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is the next book along. Um, So you flick a few pages forward, you'll be in 1 Corinthians, another letter that Paul, uh, the apostle, had written. And we're going to read these verses together and we're going to unpack them as we go. That's how we're going to do things today. So firstly, verses uh, 1 to 3. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans... You were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one says Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So Paul's unpacking here just at the very beginning of this chapter what true spirituality looks like. He says here concerning spiritual gifts, actually, if we were to um, go to the original uh, Greek, which was the language that he wrote this letter in, this first phrase could actually be more accurately translated now concerning spiritual things. It definitely does go on to talk about spiritual gifts later on. We look at this word charismata, which is the Greek word. I'm going to unpack that a little bit in a little while. But he's really saying concerning spiritual things, concerning spirituality. You want to know what it is to be spiritual? Listen up. That's what he's saying. He doesn't want them to be uninformed. The church at Corinth, before they had come to know Jesus, they had gone after everything and anything spiritual they could get their hands on. They were kind of spiritual junkies. And I can imagine that today, um, if they were around today, they would have been going after all kinds of things that seemed spiritual, whether it be kind of seances or mediums or maybe even through meditation or whatever it might be. Some spiritual experience is what they looked for. And Paul's saying here, don't be uninformed. You need to be discerning when it comes to spirituality. The first thing we see here is that truly spiritual people acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Truly spiritual people acknowledge Jesus as Lord. They say, Jesus, you're in the driving seat of my life. Jesus, you're my master. That's what Lord means. You're my master. I look to you. I obey you. That's what we see firstly here. Truly spiritual people acknowledge Jesus as Lord. But there's some more things here that we we find out here that Paul says. Firstly, spiritual people use their gifts to serve God. Spiritual people use their gifts to serve God. As I mentioned, um, we see just a little later on, he does start to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Verse 4 to 7, we're going to read. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He now uses this phrase charismata, that's the original Greek for spiritual gifts. It means grace gifts. 
we would describe ourselves as a charismatic church. That doesn't mean that our music is lively, all right? We could have music that is not lively and still be a charismatic church. The the fact that we call ourselves a charismatic church is that we believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we're going to read about as we go through this uh, passage together, we believe they are still available today. And not just available, we believe they are essential for today. We believe they're essential for the building up of the church. And so Paul's saying here that actually these gifts are to be used to serve God and to point people to him. Just have a look here in these verses. He talks of the same spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. He's describing the Trinity here. He's talking about Holy Spirit, Jesus the Lord. He's talking about God the Father. He's saying here these gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're from God and they're to point people to him. That's the deal. They're not to um, kind of make people feel impressed that we're somehow really spiritual when we use the spiritual gifts that we're going to unpack together, but actually they point people to Jesus as Lord. I love this quote from David Pryor. He says this, To be truly spiritual drives a person neither to ecstasy nor to individualism, nor to otherworldliness, but into the life of the local church as an expression of commitment to Jesus as Lord. So sometimes we can be impressed with people and we think, oh, they're a very spiritual person because they kind of seem otherworldly. They kind of seem maybe a little bit wacky or maybe they seem a little bit like they're ecstatic all of the time. No matter what's going on in their life, they're always really, really cheerful. And we think, oh, they're really spiritual. Actually, what this passage says here in this quote, which I think is so helpful, actually, spiritual people work out their gifts in the life of the local church as a commitment to Jesus as Lord. So spiritual, spirituality does not equal wackiness. It doesn't uh, mean living out kind of monastic lifestyle away from the world where you kind of just eat honey and keep bees and stuff. No, spiritual people serve God and serve others through the church. I'm not knocking honey and bees, all right? But spiritual people work out the gifts that God has given them in the life of the church to point people to Jesus. The second thing we see here is that spiritual people use the gifts of the Spirit for the common good. They're not ornaments. They're not things that we place on our mantelpiece to point people towards and say, look, I've got this gift. Isn't it great? No, we use it again and again to serve God and to serve others. They're tools for the job. Last week, I spoke about the bride of Christ and how we are getting our church, this church and the church globally, we're getting ourselves ready for a day when we'll be joined to Christ where we'll be with him forever, where we'll be with him for eternity. And as we read in Revelation, it's now our job to get ourselves ready for that day. These gifts, amongst other things, are tools to get that job done, to get our church ready, to get the church globally ready for that day. They're not for our own personal adornment. They're not for our own status. They're not for power or respect or popularity. Paul's saying here it's not about personal spiritual experiences, Some people I speak to, and they're they're always having personal spiritual experiences, but they're never doing anything to serve others in the life of the church. And I'm thinking, I'm not really sure if this is what Paul's getting at here. He's talking about actually, yeah, personal spiritual experience is great, but are they leading to the church being served? Are they leading to others being served? And are, Are they leading to people being pointed to Jesus? The Holy Spirit helps us through these gifts to be a blessing to others in the body of Christ, and also to those outside of the church as well. So let's continue reading together, shall we? Shall we read verses 8 to 11? 
For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. We're just starting to see the gifts now that Paul's listing. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. I think we uh, had something of that this morning with um, uh, that word of knowledge about that heavy burden that was on some people. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues, or languages it might say in the version you're reading. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So these gifts here and the gifts that are then mentioned in Romans chapter 12, like serving and leadership and hospitality and encouragement, These gifts are given to the church today. They didn't die out um, just a couple of generations after the the disciples and uh, Jesus. uh, People teach that. Churches teach that. Some churches don't have an expectation that God will move miraculously today. Some churches teach that actually because the Bible was formed, we don't need the gifts of the Holy Spirit today. Friends, there's nowhere in this Bible, there's nowhere in your Bible that says that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased it says they will cease one day when the perfect comes you need to just take one look at the person next to you to know the perfect hasn't come yet right you just <laughs> these gifts will cease but they haven't ceased yet they are essential for today just um on wednesday this week just by way of testimony um we had a prayer and vision night here it was a great evening. We had nearly 100 people show up to a prayer meeting. That is wonderful, right? Come to the next one. It's, they're brilliant nights. Um, just before the meeting started, I popped into the office. There was Tim, who's hosting the meeting today, and Becca, who uh, led worship this morning. And I said, hey, Becca, how are you doing? Um, she said, I'm not so good. I'm just about to take some painkillers. My tooth is in, is in a lot of pain, and I'm, I'm really going to struggle to lead worship tonight. So I just said, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that, which is kind of like a standard uh, kind of, oh, I'm really sorry. And I went to walk out the door, and I felt, no, actually, I've got to pray for her. I'm not just going to say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. So I just said, let me pray for you. Let's see what God does. Just prayed, very simple prayer, and, and I just asked. I just said, are you better? Because so often we pray, don't we? And we don't really ask, has anything happened? Because we're kind of scared that they might say, no, nothing's happened. And I just prayed, simple prayer. I said, are you better? And she said, yeah, it's completely gone. This pain that had been uh, you know, bothering her all day, and she was about to take some really strong painkillers for gone and I asked her at the end of the night has it gone is it still gone yeah it's still gone now I'm not trying to say that I've got some gift that you know no one else has I'm just trying to say here that we should expect that God will move today he wrote he raised Jesus from the dead he raised Jesus from the dead and we can expect that God will move in power today he doesn't heal everyone I've prayed for people before they haven't been healed I don't understand that but we must have an expectation. I believe that God wants to raise our expectations as a church as to what he's capable of doing. I believe that even through the special journey offering we're taking today, I believe that he's going to raise our expectations. But through many other things, I believe he wants to raise our expectations as to what he can do. We haven't got time to unpack these gifts in great uh, detail today, but the expectation is that the Holy Spirit still gives these gifts to People And he does give these gifts to people in this church, and he has done. I want to uh, recommend a book to you, maybe if you're wanting to grapple with this more, maybe like this is the first time you've ever heard this kind of stuff, and you're like, what on earth? 
This book, uh, The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts by Sam Storms, is a very, very helpful book. And if you get hold of it, you can grab grab it on Amazon or wherever and uh, devour that book. It will do you good, and it's very, very easy to understand. And you might even know a bit more about the ways in which God has gifted you after you've read that. So let's continue just to read a little bit more. Verses 12 to 14. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So once again we have this analogy of the body coming through, just as we had in Romans chapter 12. Paul is trying to hammer home that the church is to be a body. Now, it's one of many metaphors, many, many pictures that we're going to unpack over the next few weeks. We're going to look at how the church is now a temple of the Holy Spirit by which he dwells, not the physical building, but actually the church, his people collectively. He dwells amongst us by his spirit. We're going to look at the church being a city on a hill, shining bright for all to see. We're going to look at the church as an army on mission. We're going to look at the church... Uh, in various other elements, various other metaphors, this is an eight-part series in total. This is God's plan A to reach the world. The church is God's plan A to reach the world. Um, I think so often because of the church's many failures, and even this church's many failures, we sometimes think, well, actually, let's give up on the church. Let's just, you know, let's just go and talk to people about Jesus. But actually, no, he wants us to make disciples, and it's in the context of the church that he wants to make disciples. That is, that's what we're, we're doing here. It's his plan A. It's, not, it's something God takes very seriously. We don't take ourselves too seriously. We have a laugh here. But we need to take his church seriously. So Paul, he's saying the church is a body. And it's not just a, a metaphor, it's a reality. We, we are members of the body. We belong uh, to each other. We have parts to play. And we need each other to flourish and function. And uh, Paul has diagnosed two ailments in the body of Christ at Corinth. The first one is self-pity. Let's read verses 15 to 20. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Well, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear... Where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and yet one body. Some people in this church, it seemed, in this church in Corinth, were saying, well, I am not significant because I'm not prominent. I'm not significant because I don't do upfront stuff. Or I'm not, I'm not significant because I don't have a title. And Paul's saying here, if you've got to that point when you've, you've misunderstood church completely, if you understand church to be an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, then of course you could come to that conclusion that you don't have a meaningful part to play. You could, you could come to that conclusion. Because even though we have many, many serving teams making a Sunday morning like this happen, not everyone is going to serve every week. And so you, if, you're, if, you're mis- if you understood the church to be just Sunday morning, then you might think, I don't really have much of a part to play here. You need to understand that church is far, far more than a Sunday morning. It's actually taking place 24-7, and in a variety of contexts and places right across this area, 
Church is not just a Sunday morning meeting. Every member has a part to play. Every member is unique. Every member is distinctive. Every member is irreplaceable and unrepeatable. Self-pity is an addictive drug, isn't it? We love a good pity party, right? I think that's what many people use Facebook for. Maybe just put something a little bit kind of mysterious on your, on your, uh, on your status, and then everyone's weighing in. Are you okay? Are you okay? We love a good pity party, don't we? We love, people, we love to invite everyone. Come and see how rubbish my life is. It's an addictive drug. We need to keep a check on it. We need to keep a check on, on self-pity in our lives, right? The way we wean ourselves off the drug of self-pity is by being grateful for everything we have. Gratitude is the antidote there. Gratitude is thanking God for everything we do have. Thanking him for everything that he has given us and blessed us with. So church is 24-7. It's in a variety of contexts. You can tell yourself that you're not needed as much as you like, but it will never be true. And I can say, well, because I'm not an ear, I don't belong to the body. It can, it can tell itself that as much as it likes, but it will never be true. It will never, ever be true. It isn't any lesser part of the body by saying that. We're not cast into one mold. We must not think, I, I have to be like that person in, in order to be fruitful. Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. We look at others and we think, I wish I was made like them. I wish I had their gifting. If we do that, we're not going to be fruitful, for one, and we're going to be miserable. We're going to be really miserable. There'll always be someone that is better than you at something. There'll always be someone who's better than you. But with the gifting and the personality that you have, hear this, with the gifting and the personality that you have, you can offer something of Christ to others that no one else can. You can offer something of Christ to others that no one else can. Your individuality is a grace gift from God. You have to believe that. And there's some here who will say, I've just got low self-esteem. It's not low self-esteem. You're just saying to God he's a liar. You're just telling God that actually you don't like his plan for the church. You're just telling God, I don't want to get in line with your plan for the church. If you're saying I'm rubbish and useless and absolutely have no place and no part to play, it's not that you have low self-esteem. You're saying to God, I don't like the way that you have put your church together. I don't trust you. You're rebelling against his ways because he is saying here that he's placed the parts in the body just as he desired. And he's gifted each person with gifts for the common good. So actually, it's not a self-esteem thing. It's actually a believing God thing. You know, we, the, the society really kind of says that the, the answer to low self-esteem is to look inside yourself and to really believe that you've got it within you to do all that you can do and be all that you can be. That's a, that's a huge thing in our society. But actually, it's, what we see here is just believing God. We've just got to believe God that he can use us. And he has gifted us and shaped us in such a way that is for the good of others. Maybe you're self-loathing here. Maybe you're at a point when you're thinking, actually, because of things that I've done in my past, or because of things I've done even quite recently, I can't serve God. I, I can never be fruitful. I can never be used by him. Maybe you're thinking, you know, there's just that one thing you did or the thing you didn't do that you knew you should have done. You think, ah, oh, I've messed up. I've messed up to the point where I can no, I can no longer be used by God. Let me, let me share this uh, amazing verse from Hebrews chapter 9 with you. If the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer 
If these sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will this purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The blood of Christ cleanses our conscience from all of the things we've done wrong, not so we can just feel better about ourselves, think, oh, I'm glad that's off my shoulders now, but actually so that we can serve the living God. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. So if you're in that place this morning and you're like self-loathing, you're thinking, I just hate myself because of the things I've done, you need to get this truth in your mind that the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed your conscience from all of those things that you've done wrong so that you can serve him because he's got a part for you to play. He's got, part, he's got amazing gifts for you to outwork for his glory and for the good of others. You need to take that into your heart this morning. The second ailment that Paul has diagnosed in the body is this one of self-importance. We're going to uh, just read verses 21 to 26 together. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I've, I've no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow the greater honour. And our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. So there was another problem in the church at Corinth where people felt more important than others. They felt that because of the gifting they had, or maybe the past they had, or maybe their status, or whatever it might be, they felt they were more important than others. And Paul's saying here, the gospel levels us. The good news of Jesus Christ, it levels us. Because all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, through what we've said and done and thought, or what we've not said and not done and not thought that we should have done and said and thought, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all come, fallen way, way short of his standards. And actually, we all need a saviour. We all need the blood of Jesus to cover and cleanse our consciences like we've just read together. We all need that. And so it levels us. We've read here that we've had the same spirit to drink. If you're self-important, if you think this place would fall apart if I left. If you think, you know, I am far more valuable to the elders of this church than so-and-so. If that kind of thought is in your mind then it's because you really haven't understood this gospel to its greatest depths. It really should go right down deep into our hearts that each one of us has been rescued by God. Each one of us needed his grace. Each one of us has been given the same Holy Spirit and each one of us has a part to play. We need to let that sink into our hearts. The body needs hands and eyes and feet. We need one another. And when a member of the body suffers... We also feel it. We also suffer with them. We weep with them. When others are honoured, we should rejoice. Um, you know, in your body, you know it when a seemingly kind of unnoticeable part of your body is in pain. I've had a noticeable part of my body in pain this week. I've, my eye is slightly closed over here. It's not because I've been in a fight, although I do get beaten up most days by my son. Um, I've just got some infection, it'll be, it'll be gone soon. But I know it, I know that I can't see properly out of one eye at the moment because I've got something going on with it. I feel it when one part of my body is in pain. 
And I don't say, you know, if I've got toothache, I don't say, well, that's, that's all right, I've got about 30 old others. It's all right, let it rot. <laughs> if you've got a problem with your toe, you think, I've got nine others, I, don't, I won't miss one. This is actually the kind of notion that Paul's getting at here, that we are to feel it when others are suffering. Now, in a church where we're kind of 350 people or whatever, it's not going to be possible to uh, really weep with those who are weeping. Not everyone. In fact, we'd be exhausted if we did that, right? Our life would be pretty miserable. But it's so important that we're in small groups so that we can genuinely do this, so we genuinely can help those who are suffering, so we genuinely can weep with those who are weeping and rejoice with them when they're rejoicing. We, we so need those smaller communities within this bigger community. We, we, we will go on about small groups for, the, for as long as we both shall live. Right? <laughs> we will go on about small groups a lot. Because it's so important that you're in a group where people know what's going on in your life. You know, what, you know what's going on in others' lives. So that you can meaningfully care for people. The way that the Christian community deals with suffering is one of the key ways we witness to the watching world. All right. So I love apologetics. I love the kind of, you know, arguing or not arguing, debating with people about, you know, why I believe God exists, why I believe Jesus is the son of God, why I believe he rose from the dead. I love all that kind of stuff. But the, the greatest apologetic, if you like, the greatest um, clue to the world that's watching is the way in which we care for each other. I've had conversations with um, friends in the past and colleagues in the past when I was a social worker Often people would say, what have you been up to this weekend? Well, uh, we helped some friends of ours move into their house. Or we looked after uh, someone's kids because they had to go to hospital. Or we, whatever it might be, just sharing that kind of thing, made people think, wow, this is unlike any community I've ever known before. Because our, our world is getting increasingly individualistic, right? Where we kind of look out for ourselves. We kind of sit in front of the TV each night. We don't see anyone. We just want to kind of just Netflix. Yeah, that's fine. We don't want to see anyone else. But actually, the way in which we care for each other, this will be a witness to the world that's looking on. And likewise, not only just helping people who are uh, suffering and struggling, but actually rejoicing when others are honoured, rejoicing when others are celebrating stuff. This is so key. Sometimes when maybe people are honoured in some way in the church, we can sometimes be a bit resentful and think, oh, I'm not really sure, uh, you know, I, I, can't, I, think, I thought I could deserve that kind of recognition or that kind of uh, leadership position or whatever it might be. Actually, we rejoice with others when something is going well for them. So let's avoid these ailments. Let's avoid self-pity. Let's avoid self-importance. We read in a little while, desire, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. We should be desiring of them. We should ask God to gift us in more ways. But we ultimately pursue the way of love. The next chapter is 1 Corinthians 13. If you've never been to church before and you're not familiar with the Bible at all, you may even know those verses. It's the verses that get read out at weddings. Love is patient, love is kind. It's not self-seeking, it's not proud. It's not... And it... This is what Paul is saying. If you have these gifts, you might be the most gifted person in the world, but if you don't love people, then you're a really annoying noise. You're like a, a bee or a mosquito at night time when you just don't, oh, you just want it to go away. That's what you're like if you don't love, if you're not living a life of love. Clanging symbols is the phrase that Paul uses. So I want to encourage us, just as we come to close, I want to encourage us to take church seriously. Um, we don't take ourselves seriously. We, 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 we have fun, but let's take church seriously. Let's take his mission seriously. I, I do fear that some here do 
maybe subconsciously, not really consciously, but they treat it as a bit of a joke. Something that's a bit kind of, I pay God my dues by turning up. But actually, he wants us to get a vision for the church, as I shared last week. His, his precious bride, whom he gave himself for. Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. We're to love the church in the same way that Jesus does. We're to love her. We're to give ourselves for her. It's not the case that we just turn up from time to time and think, you know what, this is just something that I like doing every now and again. You know, imagine an eye saying, I just want a bit of me time at the moment. Or a foot saying, I'm not going to turn up today. I've been doing quite a lot of stuff lately. I'm just going to have a, have a day off. No, we're members of the body. I'm not talking about people going away on holiday or whatever it might be, but I'm just saying, show up. You, you are, you're not going to grow in God if you're not part of community. You're not going to grow. If you want to grow in him, you want to mature, you want to be all that he's made you to be, you need to be in community. It's where he wants you to be. Don't be passive. Don't be like a tumor. Tumors, they suck life, don't they? They don't give anything. That's why they're dangerous. They suck up the nutrients. Don't come and sort of sit back, arms fold, and think, come on, let's see if this is entertaining today. Come and give yourself. I'm talking not just Sundays. I'm talking about in every context of the church, in your friendship groups, in your small groups. Give yourself. Give your life. I know it's tough. I know it's very easy for me to say this as someone who's employed by the church. Someone, you know, it's a privilege. I don't take it lightly. But I know very, very well, two and a half years ago, I was not working for the church. I was a social worker. And and my wife, Sarah, and I were were heavily, heavily committed in the church that we were part of. And I know it's tough. I know it's tough when you've had a very, very tiring week and it's Friday night and it's time to go and serve loads of young people. Or it's time for band practice. Or you've had a tough week and it's Saturday night and all you want to do is kick back with a beer or a glass of wine and you've got to prep the materials for the kids' work the next morning. Or there's that, that couple in your small group or that person in your small group is going through a real hard time and you're just looking at your diary and you're thinking, I don't know where we're going to fit them in, but we need to see them. We need to get alongside them. We need to pray for them. You know, these are, I know it's tough. I know it's tough. But, you know, God doesn't, he hasn't got for us easy lives. He hasn't got for us lives of comfort. He, Jesus didn't live a comfortable life. He didn't have a place even to rest his head. He wants us to serve others, to use the gifting that he's given us to serve others. And just as with the gifting and personality you have, just as in that you offer something of Jesus to others that no one else can, in small groups, you meet varied grace. You meet people who will do the same for you. That in ways that you cannot know yourself, they will show you something of Jesus with their gifting and personality that you would not have seen otherwise if you're on your own. If you're not, friends, if you're not in a small group, can I urge you to get in a small group? Come and speak to me. I can get you in touch with, or Rod, who was up here bringing it, he'll be the key guy to speak to, actually. Be prepared, Rod, you're going to get swamped. There's so many people here who need to get in small groups, to get to know people in the life of this church, to really share your lives with people. And Again, by way of an appeal, really, I want to encourage you, if you are not a member of this church, you're still welcome to come here. Anyone's welcome to come here but we really would encourage you to become a member here because it helps us as your pastors or elders to know who is under our care, to know actually who we're to be uh, looking out for. And we just want to help you find your place. We want to help you find ways in which you can serve. 
There's so many amazing opportunities to serve in this church. We want to help you in that. We want to help you to find ways in which you can you know, have friendships here as well. I want to encourage you to come along on Tuesday night at 7.30. It's going to be a fantastic evening. So, should we stand together? I've just got a couple more things I just want to say, but let's stand together and get ready to pray. There was two, I suppose, prophetic things that came through as I was preparing for this morning's um, message. Firstly, I had a friend of mine called Hannah ring me on Friday morning as I was finishing uh, my preparation, and she said, Tom, I see like a, a battlefield and people strewn across the battlefield and people needing to get stretched off. And... Um, she said, I just think there's people hurting in the church who need to be stretched. And whether that's people who are physically unwell or people who are hurting, we want to pray with you this morning. There will be a team to my right over in this corner here, your left. There'll be a team here after we've sung in a moment who would love to pray with you. We believe that God heals today. We don't know why he sometimes doesn't, but we believe he does. And we want to pray with you. We want to stand with you if you're struggling in some ways. The other thing that I felt God speak to me about was that there are some people here with pins and needles. Now, I don't know if you ever have this, but you're sleeping one night and you suddenly wake up and you're like, I can't feel either of my arms. How on earth am I going to turn over? Have you ever had that problem? It's quite fun, actually. Uh, how on earth am I going to manage to turn myself over here? Some of you here are, you've become a bit numb. You've once been used by God in great ways. You've had the, these gifts of the Holy Spirit that we've read out this morning. They've been flowing quite easily. And now you're actually feeling quite numb. It's kind of like pins and needles. You don't really, you're not really being effective in service to God. If that's you this morning, we want to pray with you as well because we want to see you playing your part. We want to see you functioning well as a member of this body. And the third thing really is, if you're not a Christian here, if, you, if this is all a bit weird for you, and you're thinking, what on earth is going on? What you need to know before anything else is that Jesus Christ, his body was broken for you. All right? before, you before we talk about the body of Christ and playing your part, you need to know that Jesus Christ's body was broken for you. On the cross, he took your sin and shame. He took the place that you deserved and so that you could be forgiven, so that you could come into friendship with God for eternity. This is, this is what we're celebrating every week here. Jesus didn't, he didn't remain dead, he rose from the grave, but this is for you. And if you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, I'm going to ask you to come over to the prayer team as well and speak to someone. Um, and we'd love just to help you on your, on your way, as it were. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you for the fact that you've placed us in your body. Thank you that we're joined to you. We're in Christ. Thank you that that means for us forgiveness and acceptance, adoption. We're new creations. We've got an eternity with you forever. Lord, we're so thrilled that we're in Christ. We're so thrilled that you've placed us in your body, the church. And we want to we say, Lord Jesus, we want to play our part. We want to play our part in making your church all that she is to be. I pray that you come and stir us up afresh. Give us a fresh passion for your church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.